today on Ag News Daily. And to view a complete schedule and for ticket information, the 113th National Western Stock Show, January 11th to 27th, visit nationalwestern.com. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It is a Friday episode here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Really trying to get back into the swing of things, joined by my co-host, Mike Pearson. Good afternoon, Delaney Howell. I tell you what, I can stay out of the swing of things as long as this weather stays this nice. It is just gorgeous outside. It is. I am not complaining at all. Which is a nice change, Delaney. We're excited about that. Oh, thanks, Mike. (laughs) Uh I set myself up for that one, actually, though. You sure did. You can't softball them in there and expect me not to take a... I should know better by now. Well, let's see. You should, but you don't. So we'll just keep teaching you till you do. (laughs) Oh, shoot. Well, Mike, what you got going on in the world of news today? Well, really, right off the bat, I wanted to start talking about uh, some news that kind of took the equity markets by surprise. And I think it's Mm -hmm. another bullish factor long term for the commodity market. And that was the employment report that came out this morning. Uh, U.S. employers hired the most workers in 10 months in December at the same time while boosting wages. Mm-hmm. So that is some really good news. Definitely helped the stock market went off on a tear earlier today. But um, I think this is the kind of thing that we're going to see lend support to continued strength for protein consumption here in the U.S. We talked yesterday sure. about domestic demand being one of the drivers. And if we're going to keep that demand up, we need a lot of people working Earning big paychecks so they can go out and buy them ribeyes, buy them pork loins, get them chicken breasts and all that sort of stuff that goes into growing the animal herd here in this country. You can work at McDonald's now, Mike, and you'll make more money. Uh, Yeah, I suppose. I don't know if McDonald's specifically had their wages jump, but um, they very well might have. They're going to have to at some point. Non-farm payrolls were up 312,000 jobs this last month. I mean, that's... That's a huge number when we're already in a tight labor market. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the uh, big piece of news, well, there's a couple actually big pieces of news I wanted to start with today. The first is we are not going to see a January 11th WASDE report. Chief Economist Robert Johansson said in a report today they're not going to do that. Apparently it's they can't or it's not deemed essential at this point. So that's going to leave some uncertainty, I think, for the commodity markets because a lot of folks were expecting to see production numbers adjusted for the final time on that report. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, we don't know when the report is going to come out. Mm -hmm. It's just been delayed. So that's the WASDE report. They delayed quarterly grain stocks and um, final crop production numbers for 2018, as well as the winter wheat seedings has been Uh, delayed. Okay. I didn't see that one too, but that makes sense. Yeah. That whole package of Mm -hmm. uh, January 11th reports is on the back burner. It sounds like, but we do still have independent analysts are issuing their, uh, their thoughts. I'm sure we'll get Ted Seifert's for Monday and we'll talk about that on market Monday. I do have a report from uh, IEG Vantage, which used to be Informa Economics, so mm-hmm. one of those that is fairly well trusted when it comes to making their guesstimates. They issued their winter wheat seedings um, estimates. They figured that winter wheat would be at 31.513 million acres, down just about a million acres from uh, last year. Okay. 
Yeah, so that one came out today. They're figuring uh, 22 million acres of hard red winter wheat, Mm -hmm. 5.8 million acres of soft red winter, and 3.5 million acres of white winter wheat went in the ground this year. And we will see if USDA, you know, comes anywhere close to those numbers whenever they decide to get back to work. Well, I think weather is going to be a huge factor for those numbers as well. Um, yeah, you know, and I think that's partially why the numbers are down so much is, mm-hmm. you know, we had that wetness at planting season around the Delta. Mm-hmm. We had it across Oklahoma, uh, Ohio, parts of Illinois, you know, as folks were trying to get corn out and get wheat in, mm-hmm. it was a struggle for a lot of growers. Absolutely. Well, another thing that has been a struggle for, especially in China and for the hog markets has been African swine fever. We've got some new reports out. The latest African swine fever case has been found on a really large hog farm. It's a farm with 15,000 sows and 73,000 pigs, all of which are getting cold. And we had an interesting article sent to us this morning by Gary Rasmussen, so thanks, Gary, for that. But African swine fever has now been found, the virus has been now found in animal feeds, protein powders and whatnot, blood cells uh, from infected pork have been getting into some of those feed sources and specifically manufactured by a company called Tianjin, or the Tianjin-based company, excuse me, in Tianjin, China. Yeah, making a protein powder out of pig's blood and mm-hmm. uh, sounds so, like that one of those old piggies had the ASF. Yeah. And, and my question is, so I know it can't be... Um, it can't be obviously passed on to humans, but when they get it in feed like that, especially with their blood cells and whatnot, I would think that that could also spread the disease. Oh, that's huge. That is the main way this thing could have spread. And we import a lot of feed and minerals in particular from China. And so this raised a lot of concern here on uh, our shores of, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, what if this were to make it over because that tainted feed would infect I don't know if it's every hog that ate it, but it certainly would infect a batch of them. Absolutely. So we're up now. This is roughly the Chinese released total is 650,000 cold hogs. Hmm. Out of what? 49 million? I was going to say, I thought it was like 4 billion. Does that seem too high? It seems high, but what do I know? It's, It's definitely, there's definitely a four in the number. I don't know if it's 4 million or 4 billion. Yes, or top rate reporting million. from Agnew Stanley. <laughs> Neither one of us know the answer. Uh, Wait, I'm going to Google it. You, you tell us the no. next news okay. okay, well, so Delaney, you mentioned yesterday that uh, Chinese Customs has now cleared American rice mm-hmm. into that country. And so I've got a follow-up here. This is brought to us by our friends down at the Louisiana Ag Network, a conversation with Jackie Lower. Who is a chairman of who is the chairman of the Louisiana rice producers, and he says the U.S. rice industry has been working on this for the past ten years. The protocol was finally signed uh, oh a year and a half ago, and uh, there were some some uh, uh, lingering issues that had to be dealt with. Uh, the key um, USDA department that's that's handling this for the rice is APHIS, Animal Plant Health Inspection Service. And uh, they have to approve everything that, that goes out, and that should be enough. The Chinese have come in and inspected several uh, mills. Um, what's, what seems to be an issue, and hopefully it will be resolved this week, is that there are very few mills that are on the actual list that are approved. None in Texas, none in Louisiana. 
Now, it's not known when a complete list of U.S. mills will be able to ship rice into China. And uh, so that's being worked on right now. Uh, there's been some, some probably misunderstanding uh, by the Chinese of, of uh, the credibility of the mills we have here. And um, so they just they just put this out that it's eligible to ship from here, but for, you know from the U.S. But from what I understand, and it's a it's a step forward, but there's some there's some kinks that have to be worked out yet. Uh, this is no it's, some news reports have come out that there was a sale of rice to China. It's not. This is just a mechanism to allow it for it to be legal. And and you had to have that step, and it's not it's not quite completed yet, from what we understand. Go out as bagged rice. Uh, There's not a lot of mills that can do a substantial amount of bagged rice. And no actual sales have taken place yet. Basically, this just means it's now legal to do so in the future. Go out as bagged rice. Uh, There's not a lot of mills that can do a substantial amount of bagged rice. Uh, we have that opportunity in Louisiana, but right now none of the mills in Louisiana are on the list of approved by the Chinese, not U.S. They've been approved by APHIS, of course, but not by the, but not, not, they're not on that list. So it was kind of a, um, uh, a sudden thing that uh, seemed to be kind of an independent announcement that they're working, they're, they'll be working that out this week. It's positive, it's positive, but, but uh, it's, it's, not, it's not completed yet. And again, that was Jackie Lohr, the uh, chair of the Louisiana Rice Producers, with that update there, Delaney. Yeah, that's interesting stuff. Okay, and I've got our answer. We are both not correct. But I think oh, I was well. closer. Well, maybe not really. Um, China's hog herd is about 700 million. There's that four. Yeah, I don't know why I was thinking of four. <laughs> Anyways. I don't know why it was either. Anyways, so we both were incorrect. But that's, they say... They that China accounts for half of the world's pig population, which I would absolutely believe. Yeah, yeah, you know they uh, they like their pork. You know, personally, when I'm eating Chinese food, I eat beef broccoli. Hmm. You like? Um, I like orange chicken. Orange chicken. I think both of those, yours and mine, are pretty Americanized versions. Yeah. Of, uh, food. I think so too. Yeah, but it is delicious. That's kind of what it I feel is. like for lunch. <laughs> there you go. Well, let's see. I've got just one other update, and uh, this is uh, might be good news for those of us on the borrowing side of that uh, borrowing lending ledger. Uh, Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell came out today, and he said that while the U.S. economic momentum is solid, the central bank, the Fed, is still sensitive to the risks highlighted by investors basically throughout that December sell-off, and he's going to continue to be patient as they look for rate hikes. So again, more reassurance that perhaps we're not going to see that three to four uh, rate hikes this next year. Mm -hmm. The Fed wants to take a break, take a breather, get a feel for you know what's going on in the underlying economy. So for those of us with some variable rate notes or looking to get those operating loans signed here in the month of January, it sounds like we're, uh, we're not going to see as significant rate hikes as we thought we were heading into the year. All right. Well, Congress is now back in session. As we know, they joined yesterday, and quite a few things actually got brought up for discussion. Of course, the government shutdown was a huge one. Also, um, House Democrats instructed Nancy Pelosi to basically look into immediate packages or proposals, basically whatever she can do legally to stop Secretary Purdue's um, proposed work requirements for SNAP, which I think we already knew was coming, 
And another interesting thing I saw on the wires today was Senator Marco Rubio reintroduced legislation to give producers of seasonal fruits and vegetables standing uh, to seek trade remedy relief against Mexico through the imposition of anti-dumping and countervailing duties. He said that especially producers in his state, home state of Florida, this has or could have huge potential impact on them, especially with the USMCA deal kind of looming in the foregrounds here. Still waiting to see what Congress will do with that. Hopefully they just sign it and pass it through. But uh, Senator Rubio did drop this on the floor as well. Interesting. I'm surprised they don't currently have that ability. Yeah, I guess not. Huh. Uh, you know, that's what makes all of these trade things so interesting is there are so many, so much minutia and little teeny tiny details mm. that can uh, get mixed around in there that uh, it's tough to keep track of. Yes, absolutely. Well, we also have one other quick update, not really an update, just a reminder, but next Monday, um, we are seeing some trade officials head to Beijing to hopefully continue discussions with China about the current political trade climate. Yeah, well, it's going to be a a big discussion to have. You know, we've seen, uh, well, yesterday I talked about Cargill's report, Mm -hmm. uh, their declining profitability. Apple reported that their profitability is down due to this trade war. So now it's not just agriculture pushing to, you know, get something signed here with China. It's large-scale stock investors. It's a whole group of people who are going to be pushing those folks at that meeting to, hey, let's uh, figure out a way to put this tariff fight on the back burner. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Delaney, I tell you what, the tariffs, uh, even though they're still in place on soybeans in China, The weather down in Brazil continues to move that market. What do you think? Before we get to our conversation, should we take a look at the markets? Let's do it, Mike. All right, folks, and our markets are brought to us by our friends at the Zaner Group. Remember, it's never too late to put together a marketing plan. Give our friends at Zaner a call to better manage the risk on your operation this 2019. You can reach them at 312-277-0050, or you can visit them on the web at Zaner. That's Z-A-N-Z-A-N-E-R.com. And tell them you heard it on Ag News Daily. Well, we've got green on the screen today. That must be why I'm all jittery today. In the corn market, March corn up three and a quarter cents at 383 even. In the May contract up three and a quarter as well at 390 and three quarters. Soybeans climbed again today. The January contract up nine and a quarter at 909 and a half. The March contract also up nine and a quarter to finish the day at 922 even. In Chicago wheat, that March contract up two and three quarter cents at 516 and a half. The May contract up two cents to close the day at 5.22 even. Jumping over to the world of livestock, we continue to see some weakness in the futures markets in cattle. Looking at live cattle, February contract down $1.30 at 121.92.50. The April down $1.40 to close at 124 even. In feeder cattle, the January contract dropped $1.62.50 on the day at 144.90. The March down $1.62.50 as well to finish at 142.82.50. Weakness again in lean hogs. That February contract down 20 cents on the day at 61.95. The April down 67.50 to finish at 66.75. And, of course, we can't forget about our friends in the dairy industry. Looking at Class 3 milk, the January contract was down $0.06. It finished at $14.26. February was off $0.02 on the day to wrap the week at $14.75. 
For our interview today, we're actually going to hand it over to Brian Almer of The Barn. He's going to share some conversation or a conversation he had with American Angus Communications Director Clint Mefford on the upcoming National Western Stock Show. The American Angus Association is hosting several events in Denver during the 113th National Western Stock Show. The entire schedule celebrates the rich history and success of the Angus breed each year. Now join the Cobbler Angus Network and Farmcast Radio to discuss the upcoming American Angus Association events during the 113th National Western Stock Show as Clint Mefford, Director of Communications. Clint, welcome inside the barn. And uh, first off, tell our listeners more about the work of the Angus Foundation itself. Right. So the American Angus Association has a lot of activities going on, and one of our entities, of course, is our not-for-profit, 501c3, is the Angus Foundation. And the Angus Foundation, of course, has a very, very heavy presence at the National Western Stock Show. Um, and what they do, of course, is gather um, unrestricted and restricted funds um, for research, education, and youth. And you guys have an event that kind of kicks things off on January 15th called Bases Loaded. What is that event all about, and where will it be held at? So Bases Loaded, of course, is a sale that's managed by Cotton and Associates and really features some of the most elite Angus genetics uh, globally. And so the Bases Loaded sale is at Coors Field, and hors d'oeuvres and refreshments start 2 p.m. Mountain Time. Sale time, of course, is 4 p.m., but um, that, that sale's been going on for 20 years. This will be the 20th anniversary, and everybody's looking forward to it. You bet. And then on January 16th at the 113 National Western Stock Show, the Angus Bull Sale takes place. And that's an excellent place and an opportunity for cattle producers to attend and purchase some high-quality Angus seed stock too, right? Right. Commercial cowmen, come one, come all to that. That's that's our big event. So that's the only sale that is truly put on by the American Angus Association. And like you said, it's in the stadium arena January 16th. The show is at 12 p.m., so they can watch the bulls being shown. And then the sale's at 5.30 p.m. Now, just because they're on halter doesn't mean they're range-ready. A lot of those bulls, they're backed by really, really good genetics. There's thresholds for EPDs. Um, those bulls, of course, have had a breeding soundness exam. They're ready to roll. Now, how many lots are being offered? And tell us some more information about the sale itself. So the sale is managed by David Gazda, and he, of course, is our director of field services for the American Angus Association. Um, this year, we're going to have about 35 to 40 lots of bulls um, to go along with that. We'll have some embryo packages as well, but we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But the main thing is the bulls. They'll be trotting out there. Um, we have a really high-quality set this year. And I know that the Angus Foundation Heifer Package also uh, takes place during that sale as well. Who's it donated by? Right. So Neogen Gene Seek helps us sponsor the entire event. But the Angus Foundation this year has a really special heifer, and she is donated by Krebs Ranch in Nebraska. Um, and she is just a gorgeous female, and she'll be auctioned off to begin with. That's really the highlight of the event. Um, to go along with that, we have some embryo packages that have been donated by some very special donors in the Angus breed, and you'll want to take a look at those as well. Um, those are some very high-quality lots. Well, how do they determine which bulls make it to the sale? Right. So there's a panel of three judges, and those three judges will take a look at the bulls phenotypically, but they'll also have their EPD information as well. And so these bulls um, have been genomically tested. Um, there's a certain threshold that they must reach um, in order to, to make the sale, um, but those judges will go through. This year we have Lake Elliott from Adams, Tennessee, Joe Fisher from Sacramento, California, and Landy McFarland Livingston from Elston, Iowa. They'll be sorting the bulls. 
And there'll be an opportunity for producers to take a look at these bulls that will make it to the sale by attending the uh, Angus Bull Sales Show. Right. So, yeah, just come by the stadium arena um, there at noon, and those bulls will be in the ring so you can watch them uh, get around, move structurally. Um, and at the same time, you can also look at their EPD profiles as well. Um, and then, of course, we'll have a viewing uh, later on in the afternoon once the shows commence. Um, and then, of course, the sale will, will crank out as well. So folks can spend a few hours looking at the bulls and, and figuring out which ones fit their operations needs. And they can crunch the data on those bulls, too, because the sale catalog is already online, right? Yep, sale catalog has been online for a little while. So um, just go to Angus.org, go to the Angus Media page, and go to Sale Books, and you can check out the uh, sale catalog for the National Western Bull Sale. Uh, for bases loaded and for any sale that's um, featuring Angus Genetics for, for Denver Week. My guest once again is Clint Mefford, Director of Communications at American Angus Association. Clint, there's another sale coming up in the yards on the 18th of January, the Angus Foundation Female Sale. Kind of give us some idea how folks can learn more about it. Yeah, so um, again, just go to Angus Media, go to the sale book page, and you can find more information there. But the Angus Foundation Female Sale um, will again start at 2.30 p.m. in the National Western Livestock Center Auction Arena in the yards. And, of course, that sale is being put on by Rance Long. Um, so, again, go to Angus Media sale book page, and you can look at it there. Clint, I know we've covered quite a bit here, but any final thoughts before I let you go? Again, uh, the National Western Stock Show is, is the premier event of the of the winter for us and and there will be a ton of angus cattle in the hill on the in the yards as well so come on down and check us out um, we're really excited thanks to my guest clint Mefford, director of communications with the american angus association really appreciate your time and i look forward to working with you and the american angus association and the angus foundation once again as your announcer in the stadium arena at the 113 national western stock show yeah thank you very much brian the American Angus Association, founded in 1883, is the nation's largest beef breed organization, serving more than 25,000 members across the United States, Canada, and several other countries, too. It's home to an extensive breed registry that grows by nearly 300,000 animals each year. Their goal is to serve the beef cattle industry and increase the production of consistent, high-quality beef that will better satisfy consumers throughout the world. Learn more about the organization and become a member today online at angus.org. And to view a complete schedule and for ticket information to the 113th National Western Stock Show, January 11th to 27th, visit nationalwestern.com. All right, well, thanks to Brian and Clint for uh, sharing that information. Delaney, have you ever been to the National Western Stock Show? No, I haven't, but it's definitely on the bucket list someday. It is. Would you get all gussied up in Western wear, a lot of the turquoise and silver and the big uh, yeah, hat and the whole absolutely. deal? absolutely. Would you really? I don't think I've ever seen you all cowgirled up. You probably haven't, but yeah, I've got a lot of cute cowgirl clothes, if that's what you want to call it. Well, I, I don't know what else. Western what, style. It's Western. I, I call it ranchy, actually. Ranchy. So a lot of capes. No. Or a, or a poncho type of things. No, that's not really ra- ranchy. Is the dangly earrings, I suppose. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of turquoise, though. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, cross-shaped uh, jewelry. Yes. That's basically, I'm going the off squash. what I've seen on Twitter. I'm not a, a swatch. It's called a squash. It's a squash. squash necklace. Yeah, Google it. Why would I? I don't like squashes. That's it's like not, sweet potato. <laughs> and that's just like the I'm shape. I'm opposed to them all. And that's like the shape of it. It's called a squash necklace. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And that's a Western thing? Yep. A squash. Squash necklace. Huh. It's kind of. It kind of looks like an upside down horseshoe, and it's usually got a lot of turquoise on it. It's cool. 
upside down horseshoe. Which way is upside down? I guess that's a good question. So the open end would be pointing down. Okay, you're letting all the luck spill out if you put it that way. (laughs) Okay, well. I heard that from an old farmer. Interesting. Got to be true. That's why if you ever hang a horseshoe on your wall, you got to hang with the ends pointing up. That's what keeps the good luck in the I have I have mine pointing up, hanging on my wall, so I guess I did it right. I guess you did. It's bringing you some good luck. There we go. Well, Delaney, if listeners have, uh, in their bad luck, perhaps missed <laughs> a past episode of the Ag News Daily Podcast, that's not the end of the world. They can catch it at our new home at the Global Ag Network. Just go to agnewsdaily.com. It'll send you right to the correct page. You can get caught up on all of our past episodes. And Delaney, if they want to get in contact with us on social media, how should they do that? Well, they can interact with you and I. Ag News Daily on Facebook and on Twitter, or they can interact with folks through the Global Ag Network by searching for Global Ag Network on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat. With that, Mike, should we let everybody go and have a great weekend? Let's let them go.